I'm Rex Salisbury, and this is the Cambrian FinTech Podcast. On this show, we talk to the founders, operators, and investors who are shaping the future of financial services. Welcome. We have got another awesome episode for you today. I'm pulling one of our most popular interviews from our YouTube channel, which, as a reminder, you can find a link to on our website at cambrianhq.com if you prefer to watch these live. For this show, Building Chipper with founder and CEO Ham Suragoji, this episode was originally recorded in March 2022. Enjoy. I fundraised ridiculously. I pitched so many people and, um, you know, I got so many rejections. Chipper Cash, which is the most valuable startup in Africa, recently valued at just over $2 billion. A key market had literally overnight been turned off. The emotional vicissitudes of running a startup are insanely high. Hi, everyone. I'm Rex, the founder at Cambrian, a community for founders and builders in fintech. Very excited for today's program as we have two awesome guests. Um, we'll be diving into the backstory of Chipper Cash, which is the most valuable startup in Africa, recently valued at just over $2 billion. Uh, they launched in 2017. They provide free and instant cross-border money transfers and now have grown to serve over 4 million customers and are doing 80,000 uh, transactions a day. And to guide us through this journey, we have uh, two great guests on the program who are both fintech pioneers in their own right. The first, of course, is Ham, the co-founder and CEO of Chipper Cash, who needs no introduction. And the second is uh, Dan Kimmerling, who's the co-founder of one of the original fintech API companies, Standard Treasury, which he sold to Silicon Valley Bank. And he's also the founder of Desiance, a venture fund which led Chipper's seed and Series A. So I wanted to say, Dan and Ham, welcome to the program. That's right. Thank you. And so, Ham, kick things off. As I understand it, back when you were a kid, your original kind of career aspiration was to be a bus driver. So how did you decide to go from being a bus driver to uh, the CEO of a, of a fintech? Yeah, thanks for having me, Rex. It's, it's great to be here today with you and, and, and with Dan, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a very funny story that to, uh, uh, you bring up. In, in a nutshell, one of the things I, when I was a, a young, a much younger child than I am today, uh, one of the things I really wanted to be when I grew up was a, a, a policeman or a bus driver. Those are the sort of the two things. And policeman, because I, I felt that was the most powerful person in, 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 um, in the world when we were in traffic in Uganda growing up. And traffic was the worst time of all. So if you could control who went and who didn't go, that was a great place to be. And then a uh, uh, bus driver, because uh, one of the most memorable trips I had when I was a young child was with my family when we went to Kenya for the holidays, and we went by bus. And uh, and I figured that the person who was the most fun in that whole uh, um, situation is the guy who drives the bus because he gets to, to do it all the time. <laughs> uh, and so I figured if I was if I was a bus driver, I could go to Kenya whenever I wanted to. So that was a uh, that was an appealing profession uh, to I think a, a six year old me at the time, um, and in many ways, you know, I still think about you know what life could have been if I had definitely gone down that path. Definitely many trips to Kenya. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think now you might not be a bus driver to Kenya, but you are helping folks send money instantly across borders. Yeah, and I'm I'm incredibly fortunate to be to be doing what I'm what I'm doing now, and uh, you know I, I count myself very lucky that, uh, and I get to to work on something that uh, you know I think about as important and that I love and, and I have a great deal of fun doing with people who are very smart and that I get to learn from every day, like Dan and my co-founder Major. Um, uh, but you know at, at its core, we started this company because. We saw these problems firsthand. We experienced them, me growing up in Uganda, Major growing up in Ghana. So being able to build something which many of the people who grew up like me and uh, living in Africa and experiencing the things I've experienced can find value from, you know, whether it's policemen or bus drivers or others, uh, that's uniquely rewarding. And uh, I, uh, I wouldn't swap places with anyone in the world. Yeah, totally. And and Dan, tell us tell us your story. How you went from being a, a fintech founder to a, a fund manager, and then to to meeting Ham and and getting involved uh, in the company, leading the the seed and Series A. Well, before I started Destin's, uh, you know, I, I started this company, Standard Treasury, and Standard Treasury was really uh, really focused on this question of why don't banks have open APIs and was an early predecessor to many of today's leading BAPS, banking as a service companies. And then uh, I started that company in 2012, 2013, ended up selling it to Silicon Valley Bank in 2015 and spent a number of years working with uh, Greg Becker at Silicon Valley Bank and, and his colleagues. I was born and raised in New Jersey and then went to University of Chicago uh, for college and graduate school. Awesome. Big, big fan of the Chicago school here. Uh, and then talk through how you guys ended up connecting originally and, and partnering. Feel free to jump in, Ham, as if, you know, Dan misstates anything here on how, how it went down. <laughs> uh, whoever goes first will, is more likely to miss out a few details. <laughs> but my version of how we met is uh, starts with Shiel, uh, Shiel Monot, who uh, was our first investor um, uh, when we started Chipper. And he introduced me to, to Dan when we were raising our seed round. And uh, we went and had coffee somewhere in San Francisco. Um, and uh, yeah, literally we had one chat at that coffee shop. And then the next meeting, uh, Major joined me to meet with Dan. We had dinner at uh, an Indian restaurant uh, again in, in San Francisco. And then we pretty much discussed the terms and uh the the transaction details and kind of agreed on it right there it was i think three interactions before we um uh we we decided to 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 move forward together and part of why i say we're very fortunate that uh we got to work with dan is because you know i think people today read about the company and look at how far it's come and how much money it's raised and i think it's easy to forget that uh there was a time when a lot less people were excited about the opportunity um, than they are today. Uh, and at the time when we were raising our seed round, I think the only other companies that I was aware of that had successfully raised, um, uh, you know, more than $5 million for building a business focused on Africa, uh, I think were Flutterwave and Paystack. Um, today, there's a company every week or two companies every week raising money, you know, $10 million plus doing business in Africa. Uh, two years ago, that was very, very unlikely. Uh, and I fundraised ridiculously. I pitched so many people and, um, 
you know, I got so many rejections and no one really understood what we're trying to build. And so it was very refreshing to meet someone who understood the opportunity, um, you know, look beyond, um, you know, our inexperience and our age and saw that, you know, we, we were ambitious and we had this, you know, great vision that we wanted to pursue uh, and was willing to, to get on this journey with us. And, and that's something that uh, I'll be eternally grateful to Dan for. And it's, it is crazy. Um, you know, can I, can I say one thing about that? Go ahead. I think a lot of this comes from my experience at Standard Treasury, where one thing I always felt was some days we were like at the, we were going to take over the world and other days, uh, the term I would use is we're fucked, it's over. And right, like the emotional vicissitudes of running a startup are insanely high, insanely high. And so I think that as an investor, especially as an early stage investor for whom uh, entrepreneurs trust and uh, entrust us with their hopes, dreams, fears, and ambitions, all we can do is try and be a, a great partner to them, helping them uh, dampen the highs and the lows throughout that journey. Absolutely. And I think that's a great jumping off point to focus on, you know, maybe one or two kind of pivotal moments uh, in Chipper's story uh, that are not too dissimilar from pivotal moments a lot of fintechs face. So the first uh, would be around, you know, dealing with regulatory issues. So as I understand it, shortly after that coffee chat, after getting the seed round set up in 2019, uh, you called Dan and and were very upset because of some things that had transpired on the regulatory front. So talk me through what, what happened and how you ended up uh, working through that together. Uh, I, I call Dan all the time, text all the time, but uh, I think there's a few times I call him when I'm upset as I was that time. Uh, and in this scenario, you know, we were dealing with a situation where, you know, a key market had literally overnight been turned off. Um, because of, of some misunderstandings we had with, with some partners and, and, and the market that we were, what we were working in. Uh, and at that time, it was actually, I believe, our fastest growing market. Um, and, you know, for a company that has just come off, you know, raising a good round and the excitement in the company and the morale is very high. And, you know, we, we think we're now on a path to be in X place, you know, in a couple of months. And yep. to have that happen is very, very disruptive and very, you know, morale sort of, you know, busting. And I called Dan and said, this is happening. I'm so upset. And, you know, I, we've tried everything and it's, it's really, really pissing me off. And I bet I've used some, some other words, but um, I remember very clearly Dan said, okay, I understand, but let's not forget we have X, Y, and Z things that we know are coming up that we haven't done yet, that we've been doing the work for. And if those things pan out, there will be, likely, you know, multiples of times larger in opportunity than what we're dealing with right now. So in many ways, the best is yet to come. Uh, and although what we're going through is important, keeping an eye on, on sort of that North Star and, and being aware that this is a bump on a very long road, I think puts things in context. So moments of crisis uh, in fintech are common where you're operating one day and the next day you feel like, a regulator or partner has pulled out the rug from underneath you. Um, 
and that's how, if you're not like, if that hasn't happened to you, you're probably not building a company in FinTech. So <laughs> how do you think about maintaining the open lines of communication with your partners, with your investors, with your employees? And then what kind of strategies do you employ to make sure that you can survive those moments of crisis? And I think one of the really crucial things is to talk about too, is how you develop uh, a legal team and a legal strategy that's additive to the business, that's consultative and can contribute to the product front, can help build in redundancy uh, on the regulatory side of things, can build relationships with regular. Like, there's a lot of stuff to do. So I'm yeah. curious to hear, you know, you had this crisis moment, your business gets shut down. What happens next? I think obviously one of the learning moments about that process was and the period was, uh, Sometimes, you know, the default for young companies is, you know, move fast and get out to market quickly, you know, get feedback from users, iterate quickly. Um, FinTech is a different space because it's heavily regulated. Uh, it's not always the case that faster is better. And, um, I think the learning also is that contrary to what, uh, you know, many people might think, most regulators are actually very progressive and want to encourage innovation in their economies and uh, are actually aligned with what most startups are trying to do. And us having the discovery that we are aligned in almost everywhere with all regulators, we want to increase quality of financial services for the people who live in different countries. Uh, we want to increase remittances and inflow of remittances. That's one of the, I think the largest source of FDI in most sub-Saharan African countries is, is remittances. Um, and so we're, quite strongly aligned with regulators in almost every core area that they care about. Um, and if we had better dialogue, more transparency about what we're doing, um, would have less um, issues. And that was a learning moment, even for me as a, as a CEO, you have to think about the foundation that you lay for that business. Uh, and sometimes being too quick because you want to get to point A prematurely will actually be very costly if you don't have a strong foundation. And, um, Part of building that very strong foundation with compliance and regulators starts with, I think, the, one of the most critical parts of any startup, which is hiring, having a strong team in place, the right people um, who know how to hire other strong people um, and can engage with the regulators appropriately um, is paramount. I think a lot of that really, you know, Mark, the chief legal officer for Chipper, Mark Gottschalk, and uh, Alicia Levine, the chief operating officer for Chipper Cash, I, I think that a lot of our success in having great regulatory relationships is because of the hard work of them and their teams, for sure. Right, absolutely. There's absolutely no reason to shine a star on, on, on how fortunate we've been to have two strong leaders in, in both Mark and Alicia. Uh, and Mark has been with Major and I from the very beginning. Um, uh, uh, he's one of the most seasoned, um, lawyers and, uh, legal people in Silicon Valley and has worked with many startups and knows the ropes and can build a strong compliance team globally. Uh, Alicia, also great chief operating officer, um, and joined us very early in the journey and, and has implemented many processes surrounding how we manage our operations globally in, in all the countries that we operate in. So those two people, as Dan has mentioned, mm -hmm. Um, you know, to the point I was making about having a strong team in place um, have been paramount to us building out this really strong um, uh, and, and durable foundation of, of regulatory relationships and uh, partnerships.
Yep. No, I think having those key legal uh, relationships, especially when you're breaking ground in new geographies uh, and one of the first to market with something is, is so incredibly uh, important. I, I wanted to talk about one other thing, which I think is always interesting for ten, fintech companies to consider, especially when they're kind of early to a market and have a lot of greenfield opportunities. And that is how you think about growing and expanding the product roadmap. So you guys have launched, you know, new geographies this year, US, UK, South Africa, you've launched new products, card, crypto, Twitter tips, stocks are now live, I think in Uganda and Ghana, maybe in other countries as well. Would love to hear how you think about prioritizing um, and picking out different aspects of the product roadmap uh, to actually focus on uh, versus doing, you know, there, there's lots of things you could be doing, like how do you settle this uh, debate internally? For I think a very long time, the prevailing advice was that you know I think young companies should do one thing and do that thing very well for a very long time before they think about doing a second thing. I think more and more so, I think a lot of the companies that I think I've seen do very well and build a ton of value have been companies that have learned to do one or two or three things very early and do them well. Uh, and it's hard, uh, but it seems to me like it's it's possible, and in, in many ways it's it's worked out well uh, for businesses in today's world to be businesses that are, you know, are not just one trick ponies, but maybe two trick ponies or three trick ponies. Um, and, and that's been important for us as a company as well, to be aware that if all we ever do is cross-border P2P payments, we might be the best in the world to do it, um, but we might also be leaving some value on the table. Um, and um, I think the world is in such a place today that we have more resources available to us to be able to do multiple things at the same time. Now, that being said, one of the things that I used to talk about all the time internally in the company is that to us, the biggest threat as a business is not so much competition or the fact that there's other participants in the space. I think it's more us sort of losing focus or losing our way um, and executing badly. And part of losing focus is maybe getting to a point where you're trying to do too much. Right. And and I think that's a cross of your question, right? How do you know what is too much and what is the right amount? And I'm sure you and Dan have had interesting conversations about what's too little, what's too much, what to prioritize. Yeah. Yeah, we have extensively. And I think at the core of the things we choose to do is, you know, I think a few questions. Some of them are, you know, do we think we can do this well? Is there a tremendous value? And does it drive more value for our users and the core products that we have at the moment? Um, uh, and if those questions are more or less yes, we sort of think about, all right, what does it take for us to be in a leadership position in this product in a couple of years? What do we need to be doing now to lay the foundation for that? And how does it drive synergies with you know the underlying infrastructure and frameworks that make existing products work? Um, so a lot of our products actually all sort of have parallels in what is required for them to be operational, whether it's the liquidity infrastructure that we, we have that supports them or it's the consumer behaviors that drive more and more usage of one product because another one exists uh, or, or something else? Well, I think that um, in general, organizations are either vertically oriented, like engineering, product design, et cetera, or they're horizontally oriented. And to borrow a... Um, a great Michael Deering-ism, 
Um, Michael Deering is an incredible venture investor that I've learned a lot from. Michael Deering would say, all organizations inevitably become matrixed. And, and I think one of the things that we've really done well at Chipper is that we've created a lot of cross-organizational and cross-functional capability. Because when you're building and shipping a fintech product, of course, you need engineering, product, design, the, like the classical um, capabilities. But then you need compliance. You need legal. You need regulatory affairs. You need uh, marketing. You need support. Because like you can't ship a product that doesn't have legal, and you can't ship a product that doesn't have support. And just the same way. You need, right, and, and so you need to be able to bring many different disciplines together in order to ship a product. And so being cross-functional or matrixed um, is essential. And, and I think that having the intellectual flexibility to create that kind of cross-organizational collaboration is essential in fintech, whether you're doing it in one country or many countries. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm most excited about, too, is as fintechs have scaled, uh, it didn't used to be you had a lot of lawyers who had worked at technology companies and financial services in a collaborative way. And so what a product council even looked like, let alone was there anyone who had that experience, was very hard to find. I think back to my time at Checker when we were doing things around background checks. One of my most important colleagues was our product council person that I could reach out in as I'm like, you know, going through the weekly sprint to build product. And it's like very important to build that kind of matrix um, connectivity. But it's it's hard. It's hard to architect it, especially you're operating, I think, in eight countries uh, right now, remotely across regulatory context, across a variety of um, partners to build out this stuff. So it's a very interesting problem to to tackle organizationally. I think the other thing I would say is, you don't need to do everything all at once. Um, so, uh, and, and Ham will maybe talk a little bit more about the expansive vision we have. And it, it is an expansive one for sure. But then the question is, okay, we know where we want to go. And we have like some general ideas of how we're going to get there. But do we... Do this first. You need intellectual flexibility in order to adapt, um, and uh, in particular with some things that are very cutting edge like crypto, we have to kind of like run experiments, see what happens, yeah. reallocate resources. Right. Insofar as the the number one uh, determinant of success of a company is a resource allocation or capital allocation, human and financial capital allocation. I think being flexible and adaptable about how you come to those resource allocation decisions is essential. And, and we've been very dynamic in our decision-making process because it is so, I mean, some of the things that Ham and Major and, and their colleagues are doing are just like very cutting edge. Also, yeah. one thing uh, I, I just wanted to highlight on the f point of the, all the products that we've done, I think it's it's also worth commending, in addition to everything else that's been said, that it, it is very, very difficult. And it did uh, require a lot of the team to be able to pull that off. I mean, Patrick, who's our CTO, 
uh, Patrick Trist, um, leads an incredible engineering team um, uh, that have just produced some of the most impressive work I've ever seen. When we were sort of talked about some of those things, you know, two years ago, the overwhelming feedback was that there's no way you're going to do all this, at, you know, and at, at, at get it done in this period of time. Um, and I guess maybe because we were naive or because we were stubborn, um, or maybe just because we believed strongly in what we wanted to do, we just kind of went at it. Um, and it, it was difficult. I mean, there's, there's no way, uh, you know, around, you know, that point of, of, of sort of execution. But I think tremendous, tremendous work by, by the team. Uh, and again, it goes back to having very strong people in, 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 in high places that they can hire other strong people and build strong teams and uh, execute, you know, um, in, in a very high manner. Um, take that away and it's a very different story. For sure. And I'd love to go um, to exactly what you alluded to, Dan, which uh, is what is kind of the next step for Chipper and the long-term vision for the company, acknowledging you've already built uh, quite a bit in an impressively short period of time. Yeah, sure. When we first launched and the first thing we knew us for was cross-border payments and till this date very much is the way we're described. But anyone who is the product will tell you we're not a lot more than that. And it's become very clear, and it's been very clear and obvious to us that people coming online for the first time in emerging markets um, are coming online via mobile devices. Um, they have a high aptitude for mobile payments. Uh, and also what's even more interesting is that they have the same expectations for quality of services as does anyone in the world. Like my generation of, of Ugandans um, expects to be able to send money instantly across borders, save with, with multiple instruments easily, invest into multiple instruments easily, um, use my money in multiple um, uh, jurisdictions online or in store or in, 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 in informal markets, and be able to do that all conveniently and cost-effectively. That same expectation wasn't the expectation that a generation before us or two generations before us had. So what's new is that the expectation today is just as high as anywhere else in the world. And people living in emerging markets want and expect world-class quality services. We want to be the company that is intertwined in the fabric of people's financial lives. Uh, if they want to send money, they can do it on Chipper. If they want to invest in an asset, they can do it on Chipper. If they want to spend money online or pay for Spotify or Netflix, they can do it with Chipper. If they want to, um, uh, you know, invest in a cryptocurrency, they can do that on Chipper or invest in Facebook stock from Uganda or Nigeria or any other country in Africa. That can also be done on Chipper. So it's, it's sort of a one-stop, um, uh, incredibly holistic and, and, and inclusive platform for uh, people living in emerging worlds, emerging markets, predominantly Africa. The work we do is incredible, but in some ways it's more than the work. It's the impact. What Chipper is doing it just um, feels very consequential to me. And that is a big part of why I'm so excited about it. Because I think we're just, the impact, we're just starting to see the impact we can have um, over many years. That's one of the most rewarding things, absolutely. I mean, every time we've launched a new product, the response has actually exceeded what we even expected. Or even most recently with the stocks product, you know, people asking very simple but very powerful questions like, you know, does Amazon know that I'm a shareholder, uh, or, or someone you know invests in Microsoft stock from Uganda 
and in a couple of months they receive a dividend right in their chipper wallet. Um, you know, it's just a very powerful and new way for wealth storage, wealth creation, um, and it's rewarding to hear people say that this has fundamentally changed how they interact with their money uh, or what they can do or possibilities that weren't available to them but that are available to them now. Um, uh, and that's, you know, not sort of sound cliche, but that's priceless. It is amazing to think about someone uh, who has, you know, a mobile phone is one of their most important uh, and probably valuable possessions, being able to buy $1 of Apple stock, you know, basically instantly around the world in a way that just was unimaginable even a few years ago. It's pretty exciting. Ham, just one last question, and uh, feel free to make it a quick answer too, which is something we asked of all of our guests, which is what advice do you have for prospective founders, folks who are thinking about striking out on their own? That's actually, I think, the toughest question I get asked. There are some common truths, and then there's some very relative truths. I think, you know, I'll focus more on the common truths, which is in my, in my experience, which is um, it's okay if everyone else around you and everyone else you speak to doesn't see what you're trying to do. If you're the only one in the world that sees it, that's okay. That shouldn't deter you from pushing forward with it. I think I think there is some reward and benefit to being stubborn or maybe even being naive, if that's a word. The last thing I would say is that uh, um, I think today, I think for most of sort of, I think the history of, uh, you know, our world, we've sort of focused on success stories and that's great. But I think what's get, what gets lost is there are very many moments in between where it's just brutal and painful and many mistakes being made, uh, and many doubts being, uh, sold and, and, and just having to sort of navigate, be navigated through and headwinds and all those things. Um, and it's okay. I think that's one thing to understand that that's all part of the course. Uh, if you are experiencing, you know, very many difficult times, that's actually fine. It's actually normal. Um, and because it's an aspect of entrepreneurship that we never speak about, people expect that unless you're making progress all the time, you're, you're moving backwards. Yeah. So every, every company is on fire on the inside. <laughs> Any endeavor worth doing is insanely stressful uh, and, and has its, its low moments for sure. Indeed. Well, Ham, thanks so much uh, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Uh, wish you and the Chipper team uh, continued success at what you're building. Thanks for having me, Rex. Great speaking with you. <laughs>